Good morning and welcome to today's PSA programming here on KNCI. KCZO, KYMX, and KHCK. Operated by Bonneville International, I'm Cody Robinson. My first guest is Justine Fisher with CalHOPE School Initiative. She's here to discuss what that is and the free resources available to schools and school communities. Thanks for being with us. Could you introduce yourself and provide a little background on what you do? My name is Justine Fisher, and I am the community director for the Cal Hope Schools Initiative. And my role is to um, encourage schools and educational organizations and groups to utilize these free, amazing resources that are provided through CalHOPE um, to answer questions and support them and support the partners who are creating uh, the films and materials and resources for the CalHOPE Schools Initiative. Great. And for those who might not know, what is CalHOPE? So CalHOPE, which is part of the Department of California's Department of Healthcare Services, is an outreach portion of that organization that began during the pandemic when we were noticing that so many people were having mental health challenges and some crisis and some trauma. And so CalHOPE was formed, and it was originally formed with Crisis Line. And then as we started to see more and more the need and more and more communities for different challenges, CalHOPE moved into creating many other programs that support mental well-being, mental health, especially for youth, but for also for adults and other community members. Now, what is CalHOPE Schools Initiative and why was it created? So CalHOPE Schools Initiative was created to specifically support educators and youth and the educational community. What we know from the pandemic was, you know, that was a kind of a point in time that no one was prepared for. No one really knew how to handle, and it was quite stressful for youth and educators. It was very isolating um, because obviously schools are pretty social places in many ways or group places. And so the school's initiative was created so that educators and families and students within the public school system had easy one-point access um, for materials and resources to support youth and educators and families both in the school and at home. Now, why is there still concern with mental well-being and mental health in schools? And what are we seeing post-pandemic? So interestingly, I mean, This was kind of a global trauma, if you will, if you understand in the sense of the fear of not knowing and so many people in some way knowing someone or knowing someone who lost someone um, during the pandemic, that kind of plays out on all of us in a way, especially for younger people, right? All of our adult lives are shaped by our childhood and um, teen experiences, and so This is like a marker, um, the pandemic was, for so many youth and children, um, that fear of not knowing, the fear of concern about being ill, or maybe a family member was ill, or they lost a family member, or family members lost a job. I mean, these are traumatic crisis points. And so we don't just turn on and off as human beings. We kind of have to cope through this through, you know, ongoing And so with that, schools are seeing and, you know, continue to see students really still trying to navigate all of that um, and come through that in a healthy way so that they can continue to learn and be productive and positive in their life and in their schoolwork. Yeah, absolutely. 
When Cal Hope says no costs and no catch for CA public schools, does that mean that the resources are freely available for use and who can access them? Yeah, so that's the best part of this whole thing, free, um, because we do know that our schools do struggle. They do have a lot of financial challenges and a lot of financial need. So um, the resources are available to all public schools, public school districts, county offices of education, students, families, organizations that support schools or support youth within the school, and there isn't any cost. You can just access all of the films all of the resources, all of the accompanying materials. Um, It's kind of a one-stop shop. You just make an account at calhopeschools.org, and then you're able, you get a code, and you're able to revisit that um, website with that code. You're able to share that code with people in your school community so that everyone has access to these materials. Now, how can listeners access the resources, and can they share them with their school or school community? Yeah, so super easy and so shareable. Just share away. So what can you just get in that um, website? You get your code. You go in and you say, hey, I'm going to watch this today. Wow, I found a great resource. I watched one of the films or I watched, um, I looked at one of the professional development options or the workbooks or whatever was accessible. And I want to share this with my cohort. I want to share this with my principal. I want to share this with my families. And you say, hey, here's the code. You get to use this too. So it's really, really easy um, to sign up, to navigate, and then to please share. Um, These are materials that are best shared among our colleagues um, and our school communities and our families. Now, what type of support is there for utilizing the resources? So we do have a weekly office hour that you can sign up for and talk to um, someone. If you have some questions about how to use, utilize the materials or, or what to access them, there is a contact um, on the website that goes directly to me so I can answer any questions. Um, if you're having a technical issue with the website, there is a contact for a tech person who's happy to jump on and help you out. Um, So it's very easy to utilize all of these resources. In the resources, there is a focus on hope and resilience and building trusting relationships and spaces. How is this helpful for school communities? And and what about at home? What we know for all of us as human beings, but especially youth, and how our brains work is that we are creatures that need relationships and groups. And that trusted relationship, especially for youth with an adult um, that may be in their family or maybe at school or maybe the bus driver that's taking them to school, um, whatever that, whoever that person is, whoever that trusted relationship is, really helps youth navigate challenges. It really helps them build hope and resilience. It gives us kind of a support system. And while we know that some of our role with youth, um, who educators who work with youth, is to help them gain all of those skills into adulthood so they can manage their own lives. Um, having that person there who's positive, who's helping find that hope, helping them build the resilience for these challenge, challenges are really, really important. And all of these skills and resources that they learn at home and in school, right, are, are what help youth become adults and hopefully in turn become trusted adults for youth that will be in their life later on down the road.
Are these resources also available in Spanish? Yeah, they are. They are also available in Spanish. And that is a URL for that is calhopeschools.org slash ES. Or you can just go on the website and it's a little toggle for you to say, I want to go to the Spanish website. These resources support student families and educators' mental health and well-being, but they aren't counseling services, correct? Right. So these are resources to support well-building. Sorry, these are resources to uh, support well-being and to, again, build that hope and resilience we all need so that we can move forward in a positive way. Um, There are other support services and counseling services through the department, uh, the California Department of Healthcare Services, through other agencies, through CalHOPE, but the specifics of the CalHOPE School Initiative is not a counseling service. It is um, a base service that everyone needs in um, supporting our own mental well-being. And understanding, once we understand that kind of base service, who may really need to be reached out to to get further support. Got it. Now, the CalHOPE School Initiative is part of CalHOPE Student Support. What other programs does CalHOPE provide? So CalHOPE has a warm line, which you can connect to um, with peer counselors. Um, They have a a line especially for the First Peoples of California, the First Nation. Um, There is a CalHOPE student support that's part of the um, community of practice that's run through the Sacramento County Office of Ed. There's CalHOPE Courage Awards. There is a lot of things happening in CalHOPE to support our youth, and they're all accessible at calhope.org. And what are the website URLs for CalHOPE School Initiative and CalHOPE? So you can go to calhope.org, and it'll take you everywhere. And you can go to calhopeschools.org, and it will take you to all the resources that are from the CalHOPE Schools Initiative. Great. Thank you for doing this. That was Justine Fisher with CalHOPE School Initiative. If you would like more information on what we discussed today, visit calhopeschools.org. That's calhopeschools.org. If you have questions regarding this program, please direct your correspondence to Public Affairs and Care of This Station. My next guests are Rachel Hausman and Joe Whalen from the Parkinson's Foundation. They're here to discuss the upcoming Moving Day Sacramento 5K Walk on May 20th. Thanks for being here. Could you introduce yourselves and provide a little background on what you do? Sure. My name is Rachel Hausman. I'm the Development Coordinator for Northern California at the Parkinson's Foundation, and I'm based in San Francisco. And I'm Joe Whalen, and I'm the board committee person for media relations for the Parkinson's Walk, Parkinson's Moving Day. And that's why you're here today, is to talk about Moving Day. So what exactly is that? Yeah, Moving Day Sacramento is a 5K Walk fundraising event. Moving Day takes place in cities across the country. The one in Sacramento is on Saturday, May 20th at American River College. And how does Moving Day help the Parkinson's disease community? So Moving Day is uh, an event that gives our community the chance to speak up about Parkinson's disease and move themselves and others to take action. Um, Moving Day is a movement for change towards more awareness, more funding, and more understanding of a disease that affects so many family and friends. Now, where is Moving Day this year and what can participants expect? So it's on May 20th. That's a Saturday at American River College. The main activity for Moving Day is the 5K walk. 
There's also going to be local resource vendors and short exercise demonstrations with local instructors who teach exercise classes for Parkinson's. So there'll be boxing and something that's sort of like aerobics. It's called power moves, but it's specifically for Parkinson's. Now, what are the first signs of Parkinson's disease? For me, it was a tremor in my right hand. Continued to get worse. My my GP at the time misdiagnosed it as a as a essential tremor. Continued to get worse, and so I asked him for a referral to a neurologist. And within five minutes of visiting that neurologist, he informed me I had Parkinson's. And uh, the other thing is my balance. I used to have tremendous balance. Now I have to really concentrate on walking, and I don't trust my steps like I used to. Oh, wow. And are there any other signs that they might not realize are Parkinson's disease? Well, your voice changes. Mine used to be a very strong voice, and now it's weaker. And it it progresses along. I started out with just a light tremor in my right hand, and then I noticed it was getting worse. I had trouble holding my utensils when I was eating. And if you have any of these symptoms, you need to ask your GP to recommend you to a movement specialist, if possible, at least a neurologist, and get a DAT scan. They took a DAT scan, that's a DAT, not a CAT scan, of my brain and to determine that I did, in fact, have Parkinson's. DAT scans are focused just on Parkinson's disease. So uh, I was officially diagnosed on June 30th, 2018. How did you hear about the Parkinson's Foundation? And what's your you know, experience been living with this disease? Well, immediately once I found out I had the disease, I went to uh, a free seminar that they did in Carmichael, and it was the Parkinson's Foundation sponsored the event. It was a great event for bringing together people with Parkinson's, and they had four of the top experts in the country on the Parkinson's disease speak during the engagement. When I was... When I was there, I went up to one of the booths, and that's where I found out about the moving day walk. And so I asked what I could do to get involved, and the gal behind the desk told me that I needed to uh, go on register, and, and also I then reached out to a local person and found out they had somebody working here locally wasn't Rachel at the time. Rachel since taken over the position. She's done a great job. Um, she's really uh, a go-getter when it comes to raising funds for the Parkinson's Foundation, the great organization. Now, why is moving so important for those living with Parkinson's? Movement is necessary because Otherwise, you you get complacent and you don't get the proper exercise you need to battle the disease. It helps with the levodopa. Getting your, your brain working is important in exercise. I was hoping to add to that. Um, we have a previous study at the Parkinson's Foundation called the Parkinson's Outcomes Project. 
Um, and one of the findings from that study was that two and a half hours per week of exercise has a significant impact on quality of life for those with Parkinson's. And I'm sure Joe can attest to this, that it really helps with symptoms and it can slow down the progression of Parkinson's. Joe, why is Moving Day important for you and your family to be a part of? Mainly because of the community itself. I find the major benefit is in meeting people with Parkinson's and discussing what they're doing. I always make a couple new friends at the event and also... uh, just supporting this great foundation that immediately sent me seven different pamphlets on Parkinson's disease and what I could expect for no charge. It's a great organization, the Parkinson's Foundation. Joe, do you have any advice for those who have just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease? Mainly get with a movement specialist. If you're going to a neurologist, that's fine. Most of the time they can uh, they can detect it, but a moving specialist are, are more knowledgeable on exactly what you need to do for Parkinson's. So they're neurologists with a specialty in Parkinson's. Great. Thank you for that, Joe. Now let's go back to moving day. How much has it raised so far? That is a great question. It's raised nearly $28 million over the past 10 years. Oh, wow. And what's the goal for Moving Day this year? The goal is to raise the funds to help the Parkinson's Foundation fund cutting-edge research and provide expert care for the more than a million Americans who are living with Parkinson's. One of our main research initiatives right now is a genetic testing study that um, determines the genetic components that people with Parkinson's may have or may not have um, that are determining their Parkinson's disease. Now, how can people find out more about resources from the Parkinson's Foundation? So the Parkinson's Foundation has a number of free resources all available either on our website or you can call our free helpline to order resources online. We have a number of resources like books, pamphlets, like Joe mentioned, all on different topics relating to Parkinson's disease, like medication, exercise, symptoms, different types of symptoms. These are great resources. If you'd like the helpline number, I'm happy to read that for you. That is also a great free resource for anybody with Parkinson's. That helpline number was 1-800-437-4636. All right. And one more time, let's go over the details of Moving Day. When is it? Where? And where can listeners get more information? Sure. So Moving Day is a 5K walk event. Um, It takes place across the country, including locally in Sacramento. It is a fundraising event to raise funds for the Parkinson's Foundation um, and our initiative, Research, Care and Education. It's taking place in Sacramento on Saturday, May 20th at American River College. If you'd like to register or get more information, you can go to movingdaysacramento.org. Great. Well, thank you both for being here and doing this. That was Rachel Hausman and Joe Whalen with the Parkinson's Foundation. If you would like more information on what we discussed today, visit movingdaysacramento.org. That's movingdaysacramento.org. If you have questions regarding this program, please direct your correspondence to Public Affairs and Care of This Station.
My next guests are Derek Compton and Matt Stumpf with the Sacramento Active 2030 Club. They're here to discuss what the club is all about, how you can join, and their upcoming spring fundraiser, Party Carlo. Thanks for being with us. Could you introduce yourselves and provide a little background on what you do? My name is Derek Compton. I uh, work for the state of California. I joined the Active 2030 Club back in 2008. I've uh, run many events within the organization in that time, and I've run this spring party style event one other time back in 2011. This is the second version, definitely a different variation of the event that we're going to be doing. And we can't wait to hear more about that. So what about you, Matt? And I'm Matt Stumpf, and I've been a member of the Active 2030 Club since 2006. Uh, Like Derek, I also have been involved in many of our club's fundraisers. Now, for those who might not know, what is the Active 2030 Club? What's, What's your mission? The mission of the Active 2030 Club is to provide young adults an opportunity for uh, for personal growth, friendships, professional development, and leadership development while we improve the quality of life for children with special needs in our community. And what's the history of the club? Yeah, the club was actually founded 100 years ago here in Sacramento. Uh, We just celebrated our 100-year anniversary and it was founded here um, by a gentleman named Paul Claiborne, who was in his 20s looking for a social group, networking group, and uh, decided there really wasn't anything that was focused on young professionals in their 20s and 30s. And, and that is where, that's where the club started and was created. It's now an international organization with clubs throughout South America, clubs in Europe, clubs in Canada, and also all throughout the United States. Now, I know you started as a men's club, and I believe you still are, but is there a women's chapter? There is, and, and you're right. Our club, for example, the Sacramento Number 1 Club, is, is all men. Uh, and here in Sacramento, there is another club called the Sacramento um, 1032 Club, and they are all uh, women in their 20s and 30s. Now, what made you want to get involved in the Active 2030 Club? Well, I had um, some friends that were in the club when I learned about it. I had been to a spring party event and had a blast. And, you know, I, I learned about some of the uh, philanthropic stuff that the organization did for the local kids in the community. And that was something that was really important to me. I was able to uh, come to a couple of meetings, kind of saw what they did and the fun that they had, and uh, and I was able to kind of talk to a lot of the guys there. I was invited to go to one of their uh, benevolent events, which was the holiday party for children with cancer at the UC Davis Cancer Center, and they um, you know, it, it, they basically bring the kids that are up in the the tower down. And they get to visit with the uh, with the members. We've collected gifts. We have Santa there. He gives them he gives them gifts and uh, books. And we had some, like stuffed animals and things like that. And then the thing that really kind of locked me in was at the end of the night, uh, as a prospective member, I was invited to escort Santa up into the tower to see the kids that, sorry, I get a little choked up sometimes with this, but uh, get to visit the kids that don't have uh, the opportunity to come down and see Santa Claus that are too sick or, you know, too immunocompromised or things like that. And and you get to deliver those gifts and see 
the the look in those kids' eyes and and how that 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 affects them mm-hmm. and um that that just like automatically i was like i'm i'm joining what's interesting is uh for me my reasons were actually very different um not that all of the benevolence isn't wonderful but from the outside looking in it actually wasn't i didn't even know that that was a portion of being in the club uh i joined strictly for networking and and to try to just become more well-versed within Sacramento. And, uh, and it was, and, and the outcome of course is the benevolence um, and the, some of the benefits of being in the club is the amazing things we do, but, but not to also be overlooked by, by the amazing friendships. And when you have people that are like-minded in a similar age uh, bracket, uh, it's, it's really awesome to come together with, with people that are all volunteering their time and that you, that you create this bond with. And fortunately for me, and I, I don't think me speaking for other people that have been in our club, uh, you really create some lifelong friendships and some of your best friends um, from being a member of the Active 2030 Club. Yeah. Now, I know you've already made some great points that pretty much answer this question, but what would you say to someone who is considering joining? Why should they join? Yeah, exactly. The, the, the friendships is, is fantastic. The, the networking, we don't necessarily do, we don't look to do business with each other. Um, but, but at the end of the day, everyone likes to do business with people they like and mm-hmm. people that are their friends. So that's a nice byproduct of being a member is that you look to who's in your network within the club when it comes to doing, to doing business. Yeah. Um, as Derek also mentioned, you know, the benevolence is wonderful. Uh, the feeling of giving back, uh, the feeling of helping children in our community that are, that either have special needs or are, um, uh, are, are from lower income areas and to be able to give them um, the opportunities to do things and have things that they might not ever have uh, without the Active 2030 Club is really, it's really fulfilling. Now, where can listeners get more information on how to join? Uh, the SAC, uh, the, our, our website, sac2030.org, would be uh, the best place to start. And we uh, we have our event calendars on there as well, as well as uh, more information about how we give back to the community, as well as how you could become a member of the club or find out more information about other clubs uh, in the community. Now, tell me about some of the events or programs you do throughout the year. Yeah, definitely. So uh, we do these fundraisers like we're doing with Party Carlo coming up to, to help support the benevolent events that we do. And so some of the fundraisers that we do are events like Party Carlo, uh, Cornhole Tournament. We have a golf tournament. Uh, Matt and I actually uh, started just uh, two years ago uh, an event called Suit Up and Deal. It's just a, a very specific poker tournament um, to be able to... Derek, uh, not to interrupt you, Derek. That's, that's the award-winning, international award-winning Suit Up and Deal. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I apologize. We received a, a, an award at international and national convention for this event because we uh, it was an innovative uh, creation uh, that we brought forth to the organization. And so, uh, yes, I do apologize. Internationally award-winning suit-up and deal. <laughs> and uh, um, 
the uh, the events that we do that are served by these fundraisers are events like uh, the shopping spree, events like um, our our holiday our picnic with special needs children and their families. We bring children with disabilities. Uh, we've done it at Fairy Tale Town for many many years. Uh, we have traditionally closed down the park, and they've come in, kind of had a a day free from judgment, uh, along with kids. Uh, that have other disabilities, and they they just get to kind of have a day to themselves and get to have activities and food and fun and just get to kind of be free of kind of the stress and stuff that that is the day to day stuff. We have the the as I mentioned before the holiday party at UC Davis for the children with cancer, um, and then we do something called projects and charities where we actually give money to organizations that request it from us uh, who are in need. We worked with the Sac Republic for a couple of years now, serving the Robles School District, who we learned have a high high rate of homelessness within their school district, which is, you know, unbelievable to, to think about. And, and so being able to provide them coats and things like that during the winter season is really important. So we supported them during that. Uh, Big Brothers and Big Sisters, Roberts Family Development Center in South Sacramento, where Daryl Roberts and his crew do a lot of excellent work helping the children, uh, you know, the disadvantaged youth in that community to be able to kind of rise up and and do better and stay in school and kind of uh, look to go to college and achieve. So we do a lot of great things with the money that we raise at these events. And, you know, this, this, you know, the shopping spree is just one of those things. Now, you have an event coming up, the Party Carlo. What is this all about? What can people expect? Party Carlo is going to be on Friday, April 21st. It's going to be held at the Sacopolis Library Galleria in downtown Sacramento. Uh, we are holding a Monte Carlo style party. So um, all people in attendance can be expecting um, there's live music by Adam Aldama and the Aces. They're an amazing party band. Um, we'll also have DJ music going as well. Uh, we'll have uh, Las Vegas style gaming and all in attendance will be getting funny money to be playing those games with. Uh, we'll have a fully hosted bar, uh, also heavy appetizers that are all inclusive of your ticket price. We've got photo booth too. You know, a lot of fun stuff to kind of participate in. You don't have to come to play table games and, and gamble. You can come for the concert. You can come for the hanging out. You can come for the great food or the drink or, you know, we've got so many different things to offer. Great. Sounds like fun. Now, where can listeners get their ticket and how much are tickets? Yeah. So so there's two levels of tickets. So we've got a general admission ticket that's $180 uh, that you can get at PartyCarlo.com. Uh, and it'll take you all the way through. It'll tell you about the event, what everything is included with the ticket. And, and with the general admission ticket for $180, you are going to get your admission to the event. You're going to get all your food and beverage covered. Uh, you're going to get an entry into the grand prize raffle at the end of the night, which is an all expenses paid trip to Las Vegas, um, oh, wow. which is, a, yeah, I mean, a really we're going to do it kind of a, a suitcase style raffle off at the end of the night where it's going to be really exciting. But it's not going to be like, hey, you got to get on an airplane now after having having fun and being tired and we're going to send you to Las Vegas. We're going to be able to work with you and kind of plan that trip out a little bit. So. Um, that'll be cool. And then um, you're going to get some funny money to play the games with and buy additional raffle tickets as you win more funny money if you play the games. Or you can just take that money and 
spend it on raffle tickets if you don't want to play the games. You can also buy more funny money to buy more raffle tickets if you want to win more money. Um, so we're going to have many opportunities there. Uh, we're also going to have some table raffle items. All of our table raffle items are going to be valued at no less than $500. And so you're going to be able to put put your tickets into those if you want to enter for any of those items. If you want to uh, if you want to upgrade your ticket and go to the VIP ticket, you're going to have access to our VIP terrace area, which is going to have private gaming, private viewing. It's going to be up above, kind of around the whole party. There's going to be upgraded appetizers, uh, champagne reception. Uh, we're going to have a dessert bar up there as well. And so it's going to be uh, a, definitely a step up. And those tickets are $245. And where can listeners get those tickets and even more information? You have a website for this event, right? We do. Yeah. So our website is partycarlo.com. And then we are also on Instagram at partycarlo. And you can, uh, if you follow us on Instagram, you'll get updates. We're, we're posting there all the time. Uh, we're, you know, any, anything that we're doing, any updates to the event. Uh, but we're pretty, pretty locked in. We're pretty, pretty well moving forward with this thing. And we're expecting it to be a sellout pretty quickly as, as already before we've done any sort of media at all. Tickets are selling pretty fast. Um, oh, so we're really excited about this event. We're, we're excited to be, be able to do this. And it, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, where can listeners connect with the club? Um, do you mind going over that website one more time? And if you have social media? You can, you can reach the club. Actually, we have a link through PartyCarlo.com. So if you're on that website, you can actually link through to sac2030.org. Is that sac, S-A-C, 2030.org. Uh, and that'll take you to the club's website. The club is also on Instagram at sac2030, at sac2030 on Instagram as well. I'd encourage anybody and everybody to like and follow. Uh, come to the event. We'll have information at the event itself about how to join. We'll have some, uh, you know, some people there at a table just to talk about what the club is and what we do and what these what these things support. And I think, you know, one of the important things to remember about this particular event is that it is supporting our annual back to school shopping spree where we take children from a disadvantaged community uh, on a shopping spree for supplies that they can get to prepare to go back to school, you know, comfortably, whether it's, you know, warmer clothes to get into the wintertime or whether they need a new backpack, we provide them with that. And supplies, you know, uh, composition books and pencils and pens and, you know, uh, pen holders and things like that, we give those to them and then we take them on a shopping spree and allow them to purchase the clothes and the supplies that they might need to, to just feel comfortable, to feel like the other kids, like they think the other kids might feel going into the you know, the first day of school, every ticket is really going to support a child going on a shopping spree. So that's the easiest way for us to see it. All right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add about either the club or the event, Party Carlo? I, I think the club is, you know, as far as we were talking about, why did we join? Matt mentioned, you know, there's there's so many different reasons from, you know, networking to benevolence to meeting new people and making new friends. Folks will learn if they join the club is that, they'll get back far more from the organization than they'll ever be able to give back to the organization. I, I think I can speak for Matt and myself and that, you know, as much as we've done, even 
you know, we've tried and tried and tried and we'll never be able to repay kind of what we've received from the club. And, you know, even Matt and I have become excellent friends, you know, because of the organization and, and I've developed lifelong friendships from this club and, and business relationships and things like that, that were all after thoughts to me initially, because I joined to serve the kids and, you know, the, you'll get, you'll get so much back from it. If you make the choice to come and check us out. Great. Thank you for being here and doing this. That was Derek Compton and Matt Stumpf with the Sacramento Active 2030 Club. If you would like more information on what we discussed today, go to sac2030.org. That's sac2030.org. Or for tickets to Party Carlo, just go to partycarlo.com. If you have questions regarding this program, please direct your correspondence to Public Affairs and Care of This Station. My next guest is Carlos Eliasson with the City of Sacramento Department of Utilities. He's here to discuss whether California is still in a drought even after all this rain and snow, the spring watering schedule in Sacramento, and how residents can reduce water use. Thanks for being with us. Could you introduce yourself and provide a little background on what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Carlos Eliasson. I'm a spokesperson for the City of Sacramento Department of Utilities. And uh, as a department, we provide drinking water, wastewater, and stormwater services. Now, we've been getting a lot of rain recently, a lot of snow up in the Sierras. Can you give us an update on the current conditions in Sacramento? Like, is California still in a drought? Yeah, so much of the the rain that we've been getting lately has definitely improved uh, some of the conditions in Sacramento and throughout California. I think the thing to keep in mind there is that there are still portions of Sacramento that are still in in drought, um, whether that's severe or moderate, um, or even just just kind of abnormally dry. Like I said, the rain has done a lot to improve uh, drought conditions, both in the Sierra Nevada snowpack, which is where we get a majority of our surface water. Um, It it melts and basically comes down the American River. Uh, We also get some from the Sacramento River as well. It's about 80% of our our water supply. Mm. Um, the thing that happened a couple of years ago, though, was um, some of that snowpack melted, but it kind of went straight into the ground, or at least that's that's the theory that it either went into the ground or it just kind of evaporated. Mm. Um, and that is one of the predominant theories as to why we're in the more recent drought. You know, of course, climate change is, is another topic as well. But essentially, the snowpack didn't melt and get to us like we thought it would. It didn't fill up Folsom Reservoir um, quite so much. And, and that was also the case in uh, reservoirs throughout California. So that being said, you know, we're, of course, very gracious that we're getting lots of rain. Um, you know, it's coming down and in, in intense, intense spurts, but it's, it's beginning to look like it's, it's spaced out a little bit. What could happen, though, is that if we don't get any more rain. So um, from now on out until, you know, about end of April, maybe into May, sometimes we get a little bit of rain. Um, the part that uh, I think a lot of water agencies, including City of Sacramento, are bracing for is the fact that if we get too much uh, uh, too much dryness throughout the end of our rain year, that uh, we could be in similar conditions. Um, oh wow! They're going to be a little bit improved uh, because of uh, the amount of rain that we've gotten. You know, we've gotten historic amounts of rain, um, but you know, we're still kind of holding our breath in that regard. Wow. Okay. Are Sacramento residents and businesses still on a watering schedule for their lawns? Yes. Uh, the thing to keep in mind there is that uh, City of Sacramento is always on a watering schedule. Um, and that has been the case since uh, about 2017. That was the end of kind of the last drought period. Uh, and our city council basically uh, decided that water conservation was going to be a way of life for, for Sacramentans. Um, you know, especially with climate change um, uh, being a, a, a topic of concern. Uh, we have these very extreme weather patterns that um, 
we've we've seen uh, definitely throughout the last year, you know, in, in summer and as well um, now through this winter. Yeah. Um, and so so the watering schedule is something that occurs seasonally. Um, uh, essentially, there are two seasons. There are our spring summer season and then there's the fall winter. Um, and so that is the case throughout the year. Um, and that does limit uh, the amount uh, of days that people can water their landscapes. Got it. So we're coming up into the spring summer watering schedule, right? Yep. Yep. So we're we actually started March 1st and we are now in our spring summer watering schedule. Uh, and that allows people to water their landscapes up to two days per week. Um, it does depend on your address. Uh, so even number addresses uh, can water on Wednesdays and Sundays. Odd numbered addresses, uh, people who have those those addresses can water on Tuesdays and Saturdays. And does it have to be done during a certain time? It does, yes. The watering uh, needs to occur before 10 a.m. or after 7 p.m. Uh, the reason for that is because basically in the middle of the day, you know, we get these hot summer days. So after 10 p.m., uh, middle of summer, you can already be up into 80s, 90s uh, degrees. Um, and so what happens there is if you are watering your landscapes in the middle of the day, you're getting the most amount of evaporation. Mm. Um, that is also, that's evaporation both from uh, actually watering the landscape, but that also increases the amount of evaporation that plants actually do naturally. Um, that is that is going to be uh, the highest at that point in the day. So uh, best to keep it in the in the morning and then after after the evening. Uh, if people want to save even more water, they can uh, schedule it to be even earlier in the morning or even later in the evening, uh, and that will help prevent uh, much more evaporation as well. Got it. And before we get back into watering our lawns regularly, would you suggest that people look at their sprinkler system and make sure it's working properly? Yeah, absolutely. So one of, one of the things that we see quite a bit is that uh, people don't even know uh, their sprinklers are functioning incorrectly. Maybe there's a broken one. Maybe it's um, kind of leaking a little bit. So it's good just to uh, uh, peruse around your, your landscape areas, check the sprinklers while they're on, um, and make sure that they're working correctly and, and not leaking correctly. Um, uh, one of the things that, that we have is, is a watering ordinance, and that's one thing that prescribes the, um, the watering schedule. But it also says that uh, people can't be wasting water um, in egregious ways. So that's things like uh, letting water run uh, off onto the sidewalk and into the gutter. And a common way that happens is if you have a broken sprinkler. So right. avoiding that is good, and just going around and checking the sprinklers is, is uh, one of the best ways to do that. Now, what are the consequences if residents or businesses don't follow the watering schedule? Yes, there can be fines for wasting water. Uh, right now, uh, they can range anywhere from fifty to $1,000. Most of the time, though, uh, so the city of Sacramento liked to do an education-first approach. So there is a first notice, basically, before any fine happens. And again, that's because um, sometimes people don't even know that their sprinkler is broken or maybe that they're overwatering. Um, you know, we also understand that people are, are busy and uh, watering their landscapes may not necessarily be top of mind, although it's, you know, it's important to, to try and make that happen. But right. um, we definitely like to work with our customers to make sure that uh, they're not being penalized before they know something is wrong. Well, um, so we'll oftentimes send a courtesy notice um, just to say, hey, we, we, we either received a report or we noticed you're wasting water. Um, you know, here's, here's some ways to fix it. Um, we also have resources on hand to help people uh, uh, understand, you know, what exactly is going on or, or how to fix it. If we reach triple digit temperatures here in Sacramento, like we usually do during the summer, do the watering rules change? They do. And, you know, of course, we're seeing more uh, or it feels like we're seeing more uh, uh, triple digit temperatures, um, especially like last year. We had that 
crazy heat wave, I think it was about September, um, that we we were kind of seeing those extreme temperatures. Um, uh, the one thing to know there is that if we're uh, basically at or above 100 degrees or more uh, for two consecutive days, um, then landscapes can be exempt from those watering rules. Um, you know, if, if we're in that sort of situation, uh, one of the things that I like to recommend to people is uh, try to water by hand. Um, the benefit there is that if you're watering by hand, um, you know, there's there's a little bit of an exemption there to the watering schedule, but you're also much, much more conscious how much water you're actually putting on the landscape. Right. Um, and, you know, if you're doing it in the early morning or in the late evening, um, you can uh, kind of uh, attempt to waste a little bit less water because you're looking at what you're watering versus having the, the sprinklers do it automatically. Um, so that can be one way to um, just kind of make sure that your landscapes are healthy, uh, even during during kind of those heat waves. Now, how did you determine the two-day-per-week watering schedule for our area? Like, is that enough during warmer and drier weather? Yeah, so one of the, like, one of the things that you know, either, either owning a home or a property, something that doesn't come with it necessarily is an owner's manual for landscapes. Right. Um, that part can be a little bit tricky because there are things that you can do to help improve. Uh, let's, let's take lawns, for example, which are, are very thirsty, right? And... Um, uh, definitely a little bit more controversial these days um, than they have been in the past. But there are ways to manage the lawn um, and still do the two days per per, per week uh, for the watering schedule um, and have a really healthy green looking lawn. Um, so uh, people can call us and we can kind of help walk them through some of those those resources and, and kind of tips and tricks. Um, the other thing that we have is, is actually rebates. Um, to do things like drought, drought tolerant landscapes in their front yards um, to help people pay for those those conversion projects. Oh wow, that's good to know. What are some key changes residents can make so that our yards or our homes are, are more water wise? Yeah, so there's there's lots of things, lots of ways that people can uh, reduce their water use, uh, both inside and outside of the home. Um, the outside of the home is is one of the major concerns because um, people are using people use about. Um, half of their water use outside of the home. Um, so if you take all the stuff that you do inside the home, maybe it's laundry, showers, washing dishes, that might be half your water use, and then the other half goes towards uh, watering lawns and landscapes, that sort of thing. Oh wow! Um, so there's a lot of things. Yeah, it's kind of kind of kind of astounding. Yeah, that's actually um, a lot. See, yeah, and you can see why lawns lawns can become a little controversial in that in that sense because they do tend to to take up. Uh, quite a bit of water. Something really, really simple that people can, people can do is is adjust their sprinkler timings. So that's basically going out, turning on your sprinklers, um, kind of looking at uh, where may, there might be water runoff, or again, if there's a broken sprinkler. Um, one of the ways that grass works and soil works is that if it gets too hot and too dry for a period of time, uh, the soil won't absorb as much water. It kind of becomes um, hydrophobic. It, it just it just wants to repel the water. The water runs off the top of the soil. So one of the ways that you can get around that is by in, instead of doing longer cycles, maybe you do 10 or 15 minutes, uh, instead of doing a, uh, a longer cycle and doing less of them, um, what you do is you flip that and you do shorter cycles and a little bit more. Because you're watering that dry soil little bits at a time, uh, it has a little bit of a tendency to uh, increase absorption over time. And then you're you're getting a little bit more efficient use. Um, so that's one simple way um, you can kind of make it 
a little bit more uh, water efficient. Um, one of the other ways is you can actually go to mywater.citysacramento.org, and we actually uh, have a, a platform there where people can track their water use. Um, they can set up alerts uh, to see if maybe there is a leak. Um, they can track that and uh, find a way to fix it. Some of the other things that you can do is uh, basically our staff like to call it a leak detective, um, but you go around your house and you look for leaks. Um, so maybe there's an outside spigot. Maybe there's a toilet that's leaking. Um, those can waste uh, quite a few thousand gallons of water per year. Um, and the city actually has a, a program where if you call us, we can uh, help schedule a free leak inspection. And one of our water conservation experts will actually go around and help people uh, find that uh, find those leaks. So that's going to save uh, uh, quite a bit of water as well. Absolutely. Um, and, and then one of the other things is that I mentioned a little bit before is that uh, we've got a lot of rebates um, that can help people save a little bit of uh, money and definitely a lot of water. Um, so we've got your uh, rebates for things like smart controllers that help people uh, water their landscapes with the weather instead of just kind of a, a, a general timed approach every week. Um, there's irrigation upgrades. And upgrades I mentioned a little bit before. Uh, we have uh, a, a drought-tolerant uh, conversion project rebate where people can get uh, a few thousand dollars worth uh, in rebates if they convert their lawns to something like a drought-tolerant landscape. Um, so that's one of the biggest ways, I think. Uh, you know, it definitely depends on everyone's situation. Everyone can do a little bit. Uh, some people can do a lot, and we understand that, but we've got lots of ways to, to help people out and um, understand how they can save a little bit more water. Great. Now, where can residents find good examples of water-wise gardens? I'm seeing these pop up all over Sacramento. And to be honest, they're they're gorgeous. Yeah, I think so. Um, and, you know, if they aren't gorgeous, they probably just put it in and it just needs to grow a year or two because yeah. um, after time, they definitely pop a whole lot. Um, I think they're a lot more interesting than just regular lawns. I couldn't um, agree more. Right? Uh, a lot of people don't even use their front lawns. And then to make it look better uh, can give you a little bit more privacy. There's a little bit more biodiversity with a drought-tolerant landscape, so it provides shelter and uh, pollen for uh, things like insects and birds and bees, that sort of thing. If people want to see a good example of that, you know, they can drive around, and I'm sure they'll see one. Uh, if they don't want to drive around and they just want to go to a specific spot, uh, we actually have one at our main campus uh, for the city's Department of Utilities, um, and we've got a demonstration garden here. So the front of our building uh, has drought-tolerant landscapes. Oh, cool. um, and uh, if people want to go, they can go to, to 1395 35th Avenue, uh, a public uh, public area. So um, people can go and kind of explore what it looks like. We have some informational signage to give people a little bit better idea of what the features are. You can pack a lunch and come hang out, and it's kind of like a nice little park area. Oh, nice. I like that. So yeah. what is the most important piece of water conservation information you want people to know as we head into spring? You know, I... I get, I get questions like this a lot, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but essentially everyone can do what's right for them to save water. Sometimes we'll get questions about, you know, I'm, I live in an apartment, um, so I don't have an outdoor area. What can I do to save water? There are things that you can do there, you know, like making sure you have a full load of laundry, um, taking shorter showers. Those are smaller differences that um, can add up over time. Um, and definitely, you know, homeowners who are using um, – more than half their water use on the outside. There's, as we mentioned, there's there's quite a bit that people can do. 
I think the most important thing there, though, is is to figure out what's appropriate for you, just to kind of do the best you can, be be aware and be mindful. You know, as as we've seen, it it, it doesn't seem like uh, climate change is going away. It's still something that continues to affect us. Um, it feels like we're seeing it more and more. Uh, and so, water conservation, I think, is going to be something that um, people aren't aware about. It um, knowing about it is is definitely an important thing. So, you know, bottom line, do what you can uh, and and do the best you can. Um, even if if uh, the situation is a little bit different than your neighbor, and you know we're all in this together, so yeah. so doing whatever we can is is pretty important. Where can listeners find the watering schedule and more information on how to reduce water use in general? So we have a page right now uh, on the city's website. Uh, people go to cityofsacramento.org/drought. Uh, we have a centralized page where people can find the most up to date information, uh, as well as uh, links to uh, resources um, and how they can get help. Um, if they don't want to go online, they can call 311. That's the city's customer service number, and they will direct uh, people to our, our water conservation team, uh, and we're more than happy to help people out. Uh, even if it's just a quick phone call, we can schedule a, a WaterWise house call. There's leak um, leak alert calls that we can um, uh, help people schedule. Um, and if they don't want to call, they can email us, too, uh, at uh, waterconservation at cityofsacramento.org. Uh, and they can uh, just send us a quick email or, or send us questions. Um, and we'll try and help out as best we can. Great. Thank you for doing this. Lots of good information. That was Carlos Eliason with the City of Sacramento Department of Utilities. If you would like more information on what we discussed today, visit cityofsacramento.org slash drought. That's cityofsacramento.org slash drought. If you have questions regarding this program, please direct your correspondence to public affairs and care of this station. My next guest is Dr. Shanisha, volunteer for the American Heart Association and family medicine physician for Dignity Health's Mercy Medical Group. She's here to discuss the American Heart Association's new study on avocados and why they're beneficial to her heart health. Thanks for being with us. Could you introduce yourself and provide a little background on what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Shade Chinichian. I'm a family medicine doctor. I also do functional medicine. I work with Mercy Medical Group and uh, volunteer with American Heart Association. And we do comprehensive primary care for all ages. I want to start by saying Californians love avocados. They're very much a part of who we are. We're the top producer of avocados in the U.S. And, and I've heard, like I'm sure everyone else has, that they have many health benefits, which is why you're here today. The American Heart Association did a study on avocados. And what did they find? So they did a study that found that eating one avocado a day as part of a moderate fat diet resulted in lowering your bad cholesterol or the LDL cholesterol. Um, it, the studies have also shown that people who ate at least one avocado each week had a 16% lower risk of cardiovascular disease and a 21% lower risk of coronary heart disease compared to those who never or rarely ate avocados. Um, also, replacing half a serving daily of unhealthy fats or processed meat like bacon or butter or margarine um, with the same amount of avocados um, has been associated with a 16 to 22% lower risk of cardiovascular events, um, which makes avocados a great food to add to a regular diet. And can avocados help you maintain a healthy weight? Yes, because of the amount of fiber that's in them. So they will help keep you full for longer, and that increase in satiety will help maintain a healthy weight. And obesity has been shown to be linked to cardiovascular disease, so that's another way that um, avocados can be helpful for you. 
I hear the terms good fat or healthy fats thrown around a lot when talking about avocados. What are good fats and why are they good for us? So we're talking about the monounsaturated fats that are in avocado versus the saturated unhealthy or bad fats that we find in, you know, margarine or processed meat like bacon, for example. So the difference is the unhealthy fats increase your LDL or the bad cholesterol that gets oxidized and increases plaque buildup in your arteries. And those are the ones that are going to eventually close up that artery and cause a heart attack and cause coronary artery disease, as opposed to the bad fat or the unhealthy fat or the LDL, the HDL or the good or healthy fat are the ones that help um, with your um, circulation and it will help with things kind of be more fluid and prevent buildup of plaque. So it basically offsets the effect of that bad cholesterol. So our goal as physicians when we go and talk about your cholesterol is to boost up that HDL or the good fat and decrease the bad fat. And avocado does both of them, and that's why it's a really awesome addition to your diet. So the American Heart Association has a list of four ways to get good fats in your diet. What are those? So there are many different ways. So different ways diet-wise, you can get them. So avocados are one. You can get healthy fish like tuna, albacore, salmon, sardines. Um, Healthy um, unsalted or raw nuts and seeds are great. They help boost energy, and they also provide those um, healthy fats that we just talked about. It increases protein and fiber. You can incorporate, you know, hazelnuts, pistachios, um, you know, walnuts, almonds, and then the different seeds, pumpkin seeds, um, sunflower seeds, um, or chia seeds, and you can play around with those. Um, aside from your, and you know, in terms of the diet, just incorporating more healthy fruits and vegetables and anything that's clean, unsalted, more plant-based food um, have been shown to decrease and lower your risk of heart disease. Um, and then along with that, you also want to increase your physical activity um, and make sure that you're exercising regularly, maintaining a healthy weight and avoiding exposure to uh, tobacco products. There's another one. Now, what are the health benefits to simply eating more plant-based foods? So if you're eating enough plant-based food, you're getting a lot of different nutrients. So uh, most of our vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients um, come from these natural sources in basically plants. So if you're getting different colors, incorporating different types of plant-based food, and that's also important, variety is key. So if you're um, having a good amount of like fruits and vegetables and incorporate like 30 different ones in a week, um, that's more beneficial than eating, you know, say lettuce every day for seven days a week. So you want variety in your diet because that also helps with your immune system and your gut health because now you're, that variety also helps maintaining that, you know, gut bacteria, the healthy bacteria, all of those good things that help with your immune system, your overall well-being, um, and, you know, your cardiovascular. Now, you mentioned gut health, which is another term thrown around a lot these days, and I hear avocados are good for that. So why is that, and what is gut health? So your gut health is basically your gut is built up of different kinds of bacteria, um, and those bacteria can lead to your, you know, microbiome, which is building your immune system. Um, avocados help balance those, create some good bacteria there and um, keep your microbiome balanced. And it's one of those healthy um, foods that will help with that. So if you have a balanced microbiome and a healthy gut bacteria, 
um, or bacteria group, then you're likely to have a stronger immune system because most of your immune system is in your gut. Um, and that is very useful um, part, you know, have benefit of having avocados in your diet. Now, where can listeners get more information on what we discussed today? American Heart Association has great resources. Um, they have great recipes that incorporate avocados um, and also more information about how to have a you know, heart-healthy diet, heart-healthy lifestyle, and um, how to be you know, mindful and work on prevention as well. Great. Thank you. That was Dr. Shanishan, volunteer for the American Heart Association and family medicine physician for Dignity Health's Mercy Medical Group. If you would like more information on what we discussed today, visit heart.org. That's heart.org. If you have questions regarding this program, please direct your correspondence to Public Affairs and Care of This Station.